You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole, the, the, the only place that you want to be these days, uh, where you can relax, have a drink, and just enjoy us talking about a movie. This week, we're so excited, we're going to be talking about, um, well, I don't know how many times we've done this, I've lost count. Uh, Christy, do you, do you remember how many times that we've tried to record this podcast? Why are you talking to me? Is there something on my face? Uh, (laughs) yeah, you got a little schmitz right there just on the (laughs) left cheek. So, (laughs) yeah, I think, I think you died and then uh, you were supposed to come find me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remember how many times we've done this, and I can't remember. I have lost counts, and I was, like, marking my arm, but I've lost... It's all just black now, so from all the marks. Uh, well, I am uh, don't know how many times we've tried to get this gentleman back, but we're so glad to have Scott back uh, this week to help us talk about a movie that I really... I'm going to give it away. I love. Uh, it's uh, either called Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat. I don't know which one, but welcome back, Scott. Wake up, you maggot! <laughs> maggot i'm maggot. sorry i was waiting i was waiting <laughs> thank you oh, i, man, I that love being so back great. with you guys yeah we're glad you're back and thank you for that yes perfect perfect introduction and um yeah want to say a quick uh happy birthday to scott too as we're recording this it is his birthday so scott thank you for joining us on your birthday oh come on no problem this is this is what i do for fun like this isn't a oh okay i'll fit this into my birthday this is no i get to do this on my birthday yay awesome that's awesome man yeah we're excited to celebrate with you as we uh, talk about The Edge of Tomorrow, or it's just called Edge of Tomorrow. There's no the, it's not the definite Edge of Tomorrow, it's just Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, so, w- welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, um, help us out, you know, as we're all pandemicking right now. Make sure that you find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please just give us a star rating review. So that uh, others can find the show. Uh, and um, again, uh, you don't have to be an Apple user because you can find us wherever you do get your podcasts. So uh, and again, if you are subscribed, you'll get the show as soon as it drops. So uh, you can also uh, find us on the social media platforms, interact with us. We love that over on Trek FM on Twitter. Uh, so that's just at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. There's a listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference on Facebook that you can get into. Uh, and as well, you can find us online at Trek.fm. There's a contact section over there as well where you can send us an email. Christy and I love getting emails. And last but not least, I want to say a really big thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, 
Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. I want to say thank you so much to them for supporting us and uh, being here for us each and every week, making sure all the content keeps coming to you, not just on the 602 Club, but also uh, as well throughout the entire network. And, you know, in this time, uh, we're still trying to give you the best content we possibly can, and uh, we definitely need your help to make sure it keeps coming to you each and every week. Um, there's no way that we can put this out all on our own here just as the host. So you can support us over on Patreon. Um, we have some great contribution levels you can give at with some different perks, but every little bit helps. So find us over at patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team and make sure all of this keeps coming to you guys so well as we mentioned uh, there at the beginning we're going to be talking about edge of tomorrow and you know it's always fun because and this is uh, the reason i want to ask this question is this is one of those movies that a lot of people didn't necessarily see in the theater uh you know this was a movie that its box office was middling and so a lot of people have kind of caught it throughout the years and so i'm really interested to see how everybody here on the show um caught up with this movie and scott since you're a guest i'd love to hear um you know how you kind of found this you know tom cruise extravaganza well i did and didn't see it in the theater which is an interesting story because i waited for it to go to second run because the trailers really didn't grab like this didn't look like pay full price we have a movie theater that at the time was a dollar so i waited for it to go there and i had a buddy that we would go to the theaters and like the movies that were like ah, we don't really need to go see this thing opening weekend we'll go we'll do it when we can pay a dollar and we went to go see it and sit through all the previews get about five minutes into the movie tom cruise is talking with brendan gleason in that first meeting and my phone starts ringing and i'm like why is my wife calling me? She knows I'm in a movie. So I'm like, okay, she's got, I, I pick, I know I kind of do the phone. I'm like, Hey honey, what's up? And all I hear is, Bleh! and my wife was having her first kidney stone. Oh, oh no. So I had to leave the theater after five minutes of the movie to drive half an hour back home to take my wife to the emergency room for a kidney stone. And we, our oldest was one year old at the time, so my father-in-law had to drive the same 30 minutes to watch the baby so I could take her to the hospital. So I didn't catch this until like a year later when it was at the Red Box. So it was just one of those nights where I went to the grocery store, saw it was in the Red Box, I was like, I finally get to finish this movie after five minutes. <laughs> and so I rented it and watched it that night whenever it came out on, on home video. So yeah, that was, that was my journey to get this movie. You finally got to know what happened. I know! <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. And then though. I saw it and I was like, oh, good. I, I like this movie. I'm, I wish I could have seen it on the big screen. But glad your wife is okay. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, I had to think about it because I was like, okay, it came out in 2014. What was I doing? Oh, yeah. So sort of like you, Scott, I had an interesting 2014. Um, I ended up having two intestinal surgeries that year and was on short term disability twice. So I was really just thinking about living. Uh, I didn't, I don't think I saw any movies in the theater that year. <laughs> well, living's good. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we're glad you, you rocked 2014. You <laughs> I did lived. it. <laughs> <laughs> you lived. <laughs> so actually, it works perfectly with this because, like, I respawned. 
<laughs> oh, nice. I like it. I like it. But anyway, so so, was, so this is the first time you've seen yes. it. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, this will be really fun then because we're kind of all over the place. I'm trying to remember. I honestly cannot remember if I saw this in the theater. I really can't. Um, it's it's uh, yeah. Uh, I just I cannot remember. So I think I did. Um, because I remember liking this movie. Um, and it being one of those movies like that not a ton of people had seen, you know, uh, and being like, why didn't people see this movie? This was good. So it was definitely one of those experiences. And so I, that's why I think I did see it. Um, you know, it's maybe just the marketing. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that, that, that trail, the trailers and commercials that I saw did not do a great job of really selling me on what the real movie was. It was like they they advertised it where they thought the audience wanted the movie to be, and the movie that it was was better than what they were selling. Okay. So, yeah, it's kind of what I was thinking is like that it was the marketing wasn't as good as the movie. Exactly. Oh, that, that's my theory because it was my, it was my personal – it was even my personal experience with the movie that the marketing didn't sell me on this at all. And then I saw the movie. I was like, oh, I love this. Like, wow, it's actually really good. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys – so, you know, this was another one of those interesting movies. Uh, Scott, we just experienced this with Birds of Prey where they kind of give it an alternate title. Um, and so this is a movie where Edge of Tomorrow didn't seem to be getting people into the theater. So they kind of switched to the – the, to live, die, repeat. And part of that is because the movie itself, that's the basic idea of the movie, which is it's an alien groundhog day where aliens have invaded Europe and are spreading and we're trying to stop them. And so um, I just kind of wanted to start there. How did this then work for you as that type of movie? Like when you finally saw the movie and you know you, we, we dig into its premise, does it, does it work for you on that level? It it does work for me on that level because when kind of going back to Christie's question, the the marketing made it seem like it was just some you know big blockbuster action movie, and no, it's actually fairly high concept science fiction. You know, yes, the Groundhog Day aspect of it is you know almost cliche at this point, but they do it in an interesting way, and even on this viewing. Uh, getting ready for this podcast, I noticed aspects of that concept that I appreciated even more. Like, oh, like it, it, I, it's a movie that allows me to keep on thinking about it. And that's what makes me really dig this film and why I own it. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, if for me, it, it works because it's sort of in the same way you're saying, Scott, it reminded me not as much of Groundhog Day as it did of video games because it's so science fiction-y. Um, I, although I'm not great at video games, <laughs> I know uh, basically with a lot of first-person shooters, you're going to die and then you respawn a certain number of times um, and get to start over again. And so that feels like the inspiration for this movie. Um, where he's getting to learn a little bit more each time about how to impact change. And um, I really think that they do a great job of adding in 
twists you don't expect every time. Whereas it, it doesn't feel stale or like you're seeing the same loop every single time. Well, or, or the fact that, you know, spoiler alert, you actually don't see every loop and mm-hmm. you don't know that as an audience member. And I found that to be really engaging that we are, we as an audience are not omniscient. We actually get a limited point of view and that makes it more interesting to me that I, everything that I've seen is not the full extent of everything that has happened in uh, Gage's experience over the course of the film. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because the thing that I think works so well for me, and I, I think you rightly just called this out, Scott, you know, even with the marketing kind of make this feel more like a, just a big blockbuster action film is that what makes the movie work is that it's so funny because of the humor aspect that it takes with this idea of dying over and over and over and over again. And, and um, what, what was really interesting is I was just reading about this movie because I, I caught the credits at the end as my wife and I were finishing the other night and, Oh, Christopher McQuarrie was involved with the script and this movie goes through like kind of a mess with the script mm-hmm. and it's finally Cruz who brings on Chris McQuarrie because they had just worked on Jack Reacher and he immediately kind of gets the premise of the story and what they're looking for in terms of the character. But he and Cruz are the ones that really and, and Cruz is the one who really stresses the humor of this idea of like having to keep dying. It kind of he compared it to like a Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner movie where it's like. You keep dying over and over again, and you keep coming up with fun new ways to have to kill yourself. And part of this movie is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, it it knows exactly what it needs to be to keep you invested. And part of the humor element, too, not that I think there's anything grievous in there, um, but uh, general or otherwise. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that what really works is that the humor kind of also keeps you from wanting to ask too many questions about the premise, even though as I thought more and more about the premise, even, you know, as we'll talk about at the very, very end, the end of the film, like, I think it all fits together pretty well, you know? And so I, to me, that's what makes this movie work is they, they realize that they really are kind of more in, like you said, Christy, it's like, Groundhog Day and a video game had a baby (laughs) and this is the movie that came out you know it's like you took Halo and Groundhog Day and they had a baby so I think that's what makes this work really really well well and I also think that uh, a couple of other things like you've got almost like that Monty Python aspect of the Black Knight from Holy Grail it's like Mm -hmm. I'm not quite you know it's like it's you gotta cut your bloody legs off it's only a flesh wound like you know when like when uh Ruth's character is getting ready to shoot Tom Cruise again. He's like, I'm fine. No, no, you don't, you don't, no, no, no. And then you like, and it's that, that, it's the waking up. It's the fact that he wakes up and he's like, oh crap again. You know, I, I feel like that's it because after a while, even he gets kind of tired. Like, first it's kind of fun and bouncy. And then as it goes on, he gets tired of it. And I, and, and I think that it's, it's, that's when it takes itself seriously. 
but it earns it for how much it didn't take itself seriously at the beginning. Yeah, that's a perfect way to explain it. And it, and I do think I, I agree with both of you that if it had been completely serious throughout the entire movie, that it would have just been too dark. Uh, and it would have been like leaving Joker where you're like, it was a great movie. Did I have fun? No, but that wasn't why I went to see that movie. This one, I'm glad that I had some fun watching it. Um, and I think that definitely the funniest part of it to me even was when um, they talk about how the alien blood works getting your bloodstream. And he says, have you tried all the methods to transfer the... <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And he's like, have you tried more than once? Yes. And then she just kills him. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. Although I, I, I wanted him to argue back, but it's still a little different. Like, what about the 1%? Yeah. You know, it's still a little different going... It could yeah, work anyway, this time. We don't have to get into the, <laughs> the semantics of that. Um, but this is a family show. No, yes, I agree with you, Christy. I think all of those things are, are just... As I was re-watching this movie, you know, there are those films where you watch and you feel like, this movie knows exactly what it is and what it isn't. And, you know, when... Cruz um, brings in Macquarie and he kind of immediately understood what they needed, what the premise of the story is and what they needed in terms of the characters. I think they just nail it uh, because again, if you do this seriously, it's just not as good. You know, again, that feels more like a video game where you're, you know, basically playing like a halo or something and you are taking this very seriously. Um, you know, I think the humor allows this to go to another level that makes it an even better film. Because like you said, Scott, then when the movie finds its seriousness at the end, you've earned that because you've worked your way into caring about these, these, especially the two main characters. Like, by doing that, you found a way to, it's found a way to endear you to the characters in a way that wouldn't have happened, I don't think, if they had just gone straight man the whole time. But it also worked out that it didn't go, it didn't overplay the humor either, because another thing that I felt about this film was I totally got, like, Robert Heinlein original Starship Trooper vibes, not when they mm. turned it into a complete satire in the Paul Verhoeven movie. It's like this world with this military kind of almost fascist nature is a great backdrop for this movie for the humor and the seriousness to commingle. And like you said, find that balance between the two where it doesn't go all the way one way or all the way the other, especially at the end when the human government is is also the enemy because they're in the way of our two protagonists actually solving the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good thought you know, because it is a really interesting portrayal of what the world is like. Man, I do love me some Starship Troopers, even though it's super dumb, but <laughs> it's just a really fun yeah, movie. It is. Anyway, maybe we'll have to talk about that one one time. Um, so this is something Scott I'm glad you brought that up because something that I'd been thinking about when I was watching this movie the last time I was really fascinated with the way in which the governments here and then the news media here are all kind of like creating this you know D-Day type landing 
all based off of incomplete information. Uh, and it's because, as we learn throughout the movie, that, you know, Rita Vertowski was the first person to have this experience of live, die, repeat. And because of that, she's she becomes known as the Angel of Verdun, which everybody thinks it was just her first day in the armor when how knows who knows how many times that she went through this it could have been hundreds could have been thousands who knows so but nobody would believe her about what was happening except one other person and you know he's a lowly scientist that nobody wanted to listen to and so uh and and so i just thought it was really fascinating about the way in which especially you know we see Cruz's character Cage as a part of the media selling this story but really when we get down to it it's really a big fat lie I... uh, because nobody would believe the truth and so it really drove home to, to me especially the way our modern media uh, runs with things before they actually know the whole truth um, and you end up with all of these half-truths or complete falsehoods just being out there and people believing because nobody has actually gotten the complete information or the full story, and nobody seems to really care to. Um, and that was just a fascinating thing for me re-watching this movie. You know, something that I caught on to this time was I was listening to Cage at the beginning, and it propaganda was the word that kept on going through my head because mm -hmm. if you listen to that that montage that became the movie he's literally saying the same it's a script it's a script he repeats on every appearance he does and with almost no variation which let's talk about sound bites and how you you watch the same person interview three or four times and you're like oh yeah I, i've heard i've heard this a few times and but not only are they running on incomplete information, it's also, do they even care if they have complete information? Because it's getting done, it, it's helping recruitment. It, it, it's getting, it's getting them what they want, which is more bodies to throw at the alien threat. That's a really good point and about how people are viewed as expendable in situations like that. Um, I, I agree. I think that it's interesting to me how, um, it ends up being this situation, like you're saying, Matt, of them going in, not knowing everything, but then to kind of playing devil's advocate with it. How would they know that if they're just trying to deal with the front lines of getting past all of these little drone aliens and can't get any further than that one beach? I don't see how they would be able to get the truth anyway. That was the interesting thing, because what we learn is, is that... Rita has tried to do the same thing that Cruz, this character Cage, has tried to do as well, which is to tell people above him that this is happening mm -hmm. and try to explain to them and get to, and nobody wants to listen, you know? And, and so I think, you know, you could say too, that's because it doesn't support the narrative that they want, yeah. right? <laughs> You know, it's it's too crazy. It's too out there. It can't be true because, you know, but I just I to me, it was it was a fascinating thing here about the way in which um, we are also kind of like quick to jump on a bandwagon of something and how dangerous that can be without complete information. And, um, you know, just how important 
communication and, and actual good hard data is. Um, and, you know, even if it seems, I guess, crazy, right? You know, um, so, and this is what was so interesting about the movie then is that because of that, these two characters have to do this all on their own because nobody else will believe them. Um, and so I just thought that was, it was just something that was really interesting and just struck me this time. Uh, and you know, you, I felt, I feel like I'm kind of seeing that more and more in different areas and different movies and stuff. But, um, you know, it's one, it's, I, I put it this way. There are not a lot of, um, big ideas in this movie in the sense of, of thematic elements, but that was one that just ended up sticking out to me this time seeing it, which was kind of cool. So, um, I will say this. I don't think this movie works unless you have, especially the main cast, like a just, so Tom Cruise plays major William Cage, who is somebody who pretty much only cares about himself. He's doing the job that he's doing because it keeps him out of the actual fighting. Um, and so I want to ask you this, though. They originally offered this role to Brad Pitt. No. So. No. What do you think? <laughs> no. No, I'm with. I, I'm, I'm. Here's the thing for me with Tom Cruise, and it is well documented on various internets that I don't care what Looney Tunes Tom Cruise is in real life. The man makes movies I love to watch. <laughs> it, <laughs> It, you, it's a scientific fact. The man makes movies that make me smile. Yeah, it, that's how I feel, too. Like, it just Tom Cruise, like you said, in real life, I'm not going to pay attention. But as far as on screen, I've loved pretty much everything he's ever done, starting with Top Gun. Um, so this, to me, I feel like it had to be somebody like him. Um, even if it wasn't him, I think a big part of why you come to see this movie is for these two people, him and Emily Blunt. Um, and then too, I think Brad Pitt is just more of that. Um, I don't know. He's, he's just not as much of the, the action hero kind of actor. He's done stuff like Troy, um, or like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but in general, it's, it's a little more leaning into the comedy. Well, and also what I like about Cruz is that he can give off a, he can be smug and arrogant and then turn earnest and likable. And, and that's what Cage needs. Like you've got to see him as weaselly and slimy and despicable and believe that he could become a, earnest badass who cares by the end of this movie and through the experience he went through and Cruz pulls that off really well oh yeah from the body language especially during his initial meeting with the uh the lead of the united defense force was so funny how he's just you know he's like crossing his legs really tight and has his arms in his lap and he's just like well you know anything he can do to get out of the actual going to the front lines he's gonna try and weasel his way around it so when I read this, I thought to myself, hmm, can I, could I see this? And I will say, I'll disagree with you both a little bit because I could see Brad Pitt doing this, especially after having seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think Brad Pitt can pull this off. Do I, am I glad that Tom Cruise got the role? Yes. I think 
Tom Cruise was was the right choice. Um, I I think if Brad Pitt had done it, he probably would have done a great job, and we wouldn't have known the difference um, in the sense of like, you know, he would have gotten the role, so it wouldn't have mattered. But um, I think you pointed out something really well, both of you did, which is Tom Cruise has coming into this role. I think he has the ability to basically play who we think he is in real life, which is somebody who's like, I think people kind of have this impression that Tom Cruise is basically the character at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, there's that there's the perception that, that we kind of have, you know, of somebody being that famous and whatever. And, you know, what's 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 interesting is that I think in real life, Tom Cruise is actually the guy at the end of the movie who he's become. Um from everything I've heard about Tom Cruise, you know, in Hollywood, he's one of the most giving, caring, wonderful actors that you could work with. He's incredibly dedicated to whatever he does. You know, having watched all the behind-the-scenes actors on all of the um, the Mission Impossible movies, Chrissy, that we've covered, mm-hmm. you know, he is legitimately one of the most consummate professionals. Uh, and so... I think that he's just so able to 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 swim in the water of playing this super self-obsessed character that by the end of this movie has that heart of gold. And I think the the character arc that he does for Cage here is perfect because he he truly goes from seeing somebody who doesn't care about anybody, all he cares about living to being a guy who's willing to sacrifice his life for humanity regardless of he, whether he can reset time or not. And I think he just plays that change so well. And part of that is because he plays so well off of Emily Blunt and the fact that he's fallen in love with her. And it feels so real even though every time you see them, she's just been reset. Yeah. Um, Which I think she plays so well because... What she does is is Blunt plays this as somebody who realizes all of the times that he's been doing this and realizes their relationship is getting closer and closer and closer, even though she isn't necessarily living that, she's still feeling that through him, and her portrayal of that is fantastic because, I mean, she goes from full metal bench at the beginning of the movie uh, to somebody who is has changed as well. I mean, she's much more heartfelt in, in, um, and again, it's all in the portrayal of her progressing throughout all these days in which she isn't really changing. The only times that she changes are the days that she lives with him. And then she gets reset. But every time she's also progressing as a character too, which is just fascinating to me. And I, oh, I just love Emily Blunt in this movie. She is, Incredible. Did you have anything to say about Emily Blunt in her costume? I I love I well I, it, she uh, Christy, you're putting me on the spot. You can make me blush. <laughs> Emily Blunt's beautiful in this movie. She could be covered in mud and disgusting and still looks incredible. I was um, picking and on you. So yes, yes. Thank you, Christy. I appreciate that. <laughs> um. Yeah, she is the standout character for me in this movie because it's the kind of female character, first of all, that I always gravitate to. I've loved movies like 
aliens and Tomb Raider and all of those kind of women. And so when I saw her in this role, I was excited. Um, and then too, I think that it really, her character of Rita reminds me a lot of Ripley. Um, that woman that is thrust into this situation and then goes, okay, I'm going to figure it out and just get it done. And then has to realize that she's not in this alone. And I love that you brought that up, Matt, that they end up really leaning on each other, even though every day for her now is reset because she's experienced that looping before she understands that he must have gone through a lot of loops to get to the each point he mentions something new. Um, and I really like, you know, like you were saying earlier, Scott, with the way that we are not all knowing as an audience that they then introduce things that we didn't know when he says, you told me your middle name, you told me about a former partner and you knew in the military and she's going, what? No, I didn't. And he's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and also I want to just call out for Emily, for Emily Blunt in this movie. I mean, let's be honest. When I see Tom Cruise in the movie, I see Tom Cruise. That's, that's who I'm seeing. But Emily Blunt, I'm sorry, she's a chameleon. I mean, it, I know it's Emily Blunt, but she's not playing in, she, she is whatever character in whatever movie she is in. And it, anything from Mary Poppins to the drunk in Girl on the Train. I mean, I, I know it's Emily Blunt at, by her face, but she's playing someone different in every movie. And so this was her movie to be, uh, your comparison to Ripley is spot on. Oh, thanks. She's just so great in this movie. I'm just going to say it one more time. She's so great in this movie. Uh, it was excellent to see this movie again because uh, it is so sad that we lost Bill Paxton a few years ago. Yeah. And him in this movie, he's just, he's so good in everything that he does. Bill Paxton is so good. And Bill Paxton, like you were saying, Scott, about Emily Blunt, he kind of can put himself into so many different roles. And there's a, bit of Bill Paxton-ishness that is always there, but at the same time, he can kind of put himself into any role and kind of just, you know, almost disappear into it, and him playing this this Master Sergeant was just fantastic. I mean, he is relishing every single moment that he has to push this and stupid douchebag around. Like <laughs> he like that's how he treats Tom Cruise's character. And it's so funny because yeah, Tom Cruise is kind of a D bag at the beginning of this movie. And I just adore uh, you know, as much praise as putting an Emily Blunt there, like I just adore Bill Paxton, and I, I think part of seeing this movie again just reminded me how much I miss seeing him in films because he's such a fun, charismatic, dynamic actor, and he can bring any life to role, whether it's it, it it's one of those roles where it's like super loud and boisterous, like this role, or it's a little bit more quiet. You know, like he can do it all, and he's he's just. It, this movie has perfect casting when it comes to like these main characters mm -hmm. like this. It's so good. And maybe that's also why I thought of Aliens. <laughs> Bill Paxton. Let's play Six Degrees yeah, of Bill true. Paxton. <laughs> but Bill Paxton also is a man that every line he has is the same line. I mean, you're talking about a man who most of his scenes are him repeating the same dialogue 
and yet I don't get tired of it. I actually look forward to, oh, I get to hear this one again. Like, it's just, it just makes you smile because you're like, you're just so fun to watch. Even when you're being this drill sergeant who is a jerk, but then you kind of enjoy him being a jerk because who he's being a jerk to. And I, I miss him. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I love Bill Paxton and anything I've ever seen him in. And I think that it's so interesting. Like you're saying, Scott, the, the delivery change each time he's saying the same words. You're waiting to see, okay, what's he going to do now? Man, it really is. Um, I, I think, you know, these three together and there, you know, there's other people around them, but I think these are the three that bring this movie together and make it cohesive, you know, and, and, um, again, in all, I think it's, it's the fact that Tom Cruise and, and Emily Blunt worked so well together and they, they make you believe everything that's happening in this movie, um, and everything that they're going through. And, um, so I, I loved it. And, and I mean, you know, just one last thing I was thinking about Tom Cruise. I love the scene where he, he steals away and he goes to the bar and he's just completely depressed. He doesn't feel like he has any options left. And it's just a great moment because, again, it's a he's playing a different side to this character. And he does a great job of bringing it to life. And all of them do with their characters. So I think it really works. Um, the, the Another thing that's moving, we mentioned the previews beforehand, you know, and it not really selling this movie. But one of the things that I think this movie does so good is that the battle suits, the aliens, and the effects in this movie are just phenomenal. And even rewatching it on a 4K television I did uh, this this you know uh, this weekend, I was surprised how well this movie holds up and how good it still looks. It looks great. I'm I need I, this is a movie that I have not delved into the uh, the featurettes and the special features and all that kind of stuff that I, I I love like I love doing that kind of stuff because I would love to see how much what's the mix of practical and CGI when it comes to the jackets because you know there's something about me that's always enjoyed a good mech suit yeah and and so those mechs one I love the fact that there's such personality to the mech suits because you could tell that there's some that are newer than others some that have more upgrades than others some that just look like pieces of utter crap and you're just throwing somebody into it talking about the expendability a- aspect and so I would love to see how much of that was practical how much of that was CGI because you're right Matt those that that's legit that holds up it looks good it's entertaining um, you know, some movies, it's amazing. It just amazes me. The movies whose special effects that are six, seven, eight years old that haven't aged today and other ones that come out this year. I can already look, I'm, I'm already criticizing them when I'm seeing it now, let alone when I'm going to be seeing it eight years from Do now. Little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so. A good point. I, I would, I, that's, this is a movie that now seeing it again, I want to, I kind of want to do that deep dive into those behind the scenes types of things. So I am going to answer your question right now, Scott. The suits were real. Yes. <laughs> okay. Not all of them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, there, 
you know, Cruz is known for doing his own stunts. And uh, yeah, I was doing some reading and did discover that he and Emily Blunt wore practical suits to do these scenes. And uh, they were 80 to 130 pounds. Oh. And that sometimes in between takes, they were being held by cables so that it would take the weight off of their shoulders. That makes me love it even more. I'm sorry. It That just looked incredible. Yeah, well, and I, th- I think you can tell when people are like, no, I'm going to go in and put on the suit and do the thing and not have a stunt person do it for me. Oh, it always, you always, you can always tell. I'm sorry. Yeah. You can tell that's not that person. Yeah. And I mean, to Matt's point of like singing the praises of Tom Cruise again, I'm glad that he's that kind of actor, that he's not just there to say a couple lines and then go back to his trailer. He's the person that wants to help work on the script and bring in Macquarie to make it better and get in the suit and do the tumbling and whatever. I like that he is really in it to win it kind of person. Yeah, I think that was the thing that um, I really loved uh, about the, the movie is, you know, and this is something that Tom Cruise brings is the fact that he does his own stunts and the fact that Emily Blunt did the same thing in this movie that both of them are doing as many of the stunts as absolutely possible for them to do. It really helps you buy the film. And again, it looks really, really good. And I know from watching the extras, you know, they spent a lot more time on those beach scenes than they thought they were going to just trying to get them right. And I think it really pays off because when you spend the time to make things look good, they'll last a lot longer. Yeah. You know, and part of that, too, is like, you know, you can marry all the things. You know, you can marry the live uh, action and you can marry the CGI and you do it right and nobody will know the difference. You know, and I think that's the thing that really helps this movie in many ways is that, for so much of the film, it's hard to pick out, oh, that was live action and that was CGI and that was this. You know, like so much of the movie feels real, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. And and there was never one of those moments like that happens with one of the, these kind of CGI fest type movies where you're truly pulled out because you're. You're like, oh, they, they've done such a good job of building kind of the realism of everything that that everything else they're doing just flows and there's nothing that stands out and you're like, oh, that was fake. You know, like, I get, I know the things that probably weren't totally real, like when they're, you know, in, in Paris, you know, and they're in the, the broken down plane and, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of CGI work that goes in that stuff, right? But it just, it, it never... My brain is accustomed to everything that they're doing, so it never just jumps out of me like, here I am. This is the fake scene. So I love that. And I think, too, um, you know, with the aliens that they created, I just, I loved the alien design. I thought they were super cool. Um, But I just, I love the way that these aliens work, this idea that they're kind of the perfect killing machine for planets, because they can keep resetting time and then they, until they can get it right with the minimal loss of life for themselves. Like, to me, that is kind of fascinating. And I think, like you were talking about at the very beginning, Scott, th- that high concept uh, sci-fi type idea, um, almost like a, it sounds a little bit like a Star Trek type episode, you know, like they run into the alien that can reset time a million times. 
it's good, and I think it really works here in the movie. And you also never bother to ask the question, how does it work? It just works. You know, and I think that's why the movie works is you don't need to know why or they tell you why. So you don't need to worry about how, how does, how do they do that? It doesn't matter. They do it. Yeah. Go go, go with the plot. And then they show you too, because, you know, like they, they tell you the how, like they have this ability, but then because they allow you to experience it so many times with the power that Tom Cruise ends up getting, you buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because they only told you, but then they show, showed you. So it's great. Yeah, it's like this movie is a perfect combination of all of the classic sci-fi movies that we love. Like, the way that you initially see the aliens coming up out of the sand reminds me of Tremors. And then Mm -hmm. when you have them having this hive mind kind of thing with the alphas and the omega, it reminds me of Resident Evil. And, uh, you know, if you kill it at the source, then the rest of them all die. But it works because they all they fit it all together in a way that's exactly what you're both saying, that it doesn't go into too much detail that doesn't matter. It's just giving you this is what it is and come on for the ride with us. It it also makes me very curious to read the, and I believe it's Japanese, the Japanese novel that it's inspired by to go, I wonder if in the novel they go through the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey explanation of why or how, or do they, or does the novel just go with it too? Because I think the movie works with, they they turn back time, go but like, like they, I think that the scientist even basically says they've evolved. It, it's like a, it's like a, what's a, it's a adaptation that they've just evolved. Like they're killing machines. This makes them better killing machines. Boom, winning, go. Well, yeah, I mean, it's basically like if you think about how predators work in the wild, they adapt as they learn. Okay, this plan didn't work, so I'm going to try this. No, I think that the thing that they do is they tell you exactly what you need to know to make the story work, and then they don't worry about the rest because that's not important, you know, and, and that's that's an important thing to learn when you're doing a movie like this. So brings me to the the important question as we get to the end, which is the ending, and where Tom Cruise, it looks like he's going to die, gets enveloped by the Omega, and then wakes up finding that everything that he just did has still happened, even though he's back. So how does that work for you guys? I think initially I was kind of worried about how they would handle it, whether it would just leave off with he died saving humanity and we're good now, or if they were going to then do what they did and go into a a new reality for him. Um, but I think it works again because they don't go too deep into the why. Um, and I like that it's, it's just, it, they realize that time travel, if you get into it too much, it's going to get sticky and then you can't dig yourself back out again. So they figure going still with the comedy aspect of it, you have to have a more lighthearted ending and they have him go back to where he's living again, which is positive, but that it's even more exciting because he's seen that his efforts paid off and that it doesn't necessarily mean everything is all solved for them, but now they have a huge advantage. So I, I really thought it worked. 
I think it, I mean, it works as a, as a blockbuster Hollywood ending. I, I will admit that my own personal druthers would have been, they all, they all died saving humanity, but now we're all good. But, you know, I'm dark. What can I say? It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's darkness. You know, I, I, I would be okay with that. But I'm also okay with this movie. Honestly, the only thing that bothered me was the really ridiculous pop song that was playing during the end credits. So, you know, it's just, um, it's fine. Like you said, I guess in my head, I can just go, well, if he gets coated in the blood again, he kind of becomes the evolved being that then can reset himself back to a time where everything's good now. If he, if he truly does take it, cause they always called it the power. So if now the mimics are Kaputsky, he is now the lone person with the power. It's almost as if in his dying moments, he almost subconsciously conjured the power and picked a point that he wanted to reset himself at. That's a good point. You, know, you could totally make it into however you feel it ended up because of the time travel aspect. Right. It's a choose your own. It's, it's a kind of a choose your own adventure. It's yeah. like, I know it works. I can make it work however I want because th- th- this goes back to they didn't over explain how the power works. So the power can do whatever you want the power to do to give you the ending that you want. Yeah. If the power causes time travel, that's totally plausible. Yeah. This is the thing I I kind of came to last night as well. You know, when I was talking about it with my wife was just this idea of because he dies being enveloped by the Omega and then has that same power. And we know the Omega is more powerful than than the Alphas. Uh, so it makes sense then that he can control time in an even more robust way and therefore be able to do this to where they have been successful and, you know, he is back uh, in a place where he'll be able to stay alive. Um, and, you know, where Rita is going to be alive too. Uh, and, you know, I just love, the, you know, it ends with her being like, do I have something in my face? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's that same meeting, but the moment he tells her, like, I was you, and we did it, like, you know things are going to be different between them. Like, yeah. And you just have that good feeling, like, the, oh, the, the guy got the girl and the world is saved, you know? So, I think they ended it properly in that sense. Like, they... They understood exactly what they're going for, and by the end, they don't they don't mess that up. And you know what? When I thought about it more, it actually made more sense that you know this power of the Omega is now his. And like you said, Scott, it's not completely defined. So it okay. So yeah, that that's what you can do with that power. You know. And I want to add too, it could possibly lead into a sequel. Where now the Omega is him. Dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's. I know they've been wanting to make a sequel to this movie for a long time, and both him and Emily Blunt have been up for it. That just has not been able to come um, to fruition yet. So, which is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering if maybe this is one of those movies that's best left just on its own, and and it doesn't need a sequel because. Honestly, 
whatever they would do. I'm sure it would be good if Tom Cruise was going to be involved. He doesn't, you know, do crap. Um, you know, he, he, he tries to stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, obviously the things that he's involved in now, he truly believes in. And so I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm kind of good with if they never get to make one though, honestly. Uh, so, um, wanted to know where you guys are with your ratings with this. I'm going to give this nine headshots out of ten. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, every time Emily Blunt pulled out her sidearm, I was just, I, I was like, yeah, 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 put them down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog. Well, <laughs> well, you know what? The beginning of the movie that, yeah, he kind of, he kind of had it coming. Yeah. But no, I, this is, this is that good. It's, it's not hard sci-fi because it doesn't exactly follow physics, but it's got that dirty, gritty, lived-in realism when it comes to, like, the suits and the military and that sort of militaristic sci-fi that I really dig. The the dirtiness of the beach invasion, you, you call out D-Day. You know, the, you know, Blunt and Cruz are just perfect for these roles. I will continue to watch this movie. And once again, it's one of those movies that on rewatches, you get something else out of it. And, and, and that always becomes my, that is my rubric for a great movie. Did I see something this time that I did not see the time before? And anytime a movie does that, you know, that it, it, it just, it just rises, a, it rises another notch. I mean, even on my letterbox account. I had it originally rated at four stars. It went up to four and a half because I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you got yourself a little extra dinged there because I spotted things. It made me think about things. And that's what I love science fiction doing. Yeah, I'm with you as well. And even though this was my first viewing of this movie, I'm actually anxious to now go show it to my husband and get to watch it a second time myself. And I don't care if it's also tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it again. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I'll give it a, I'm going to say nine out of 10 mech suits, because I really want one of those suits. (laughs) Yeah, I think. It's uh, really going to make going to the grocery store a whole lot easier. Right? (laughs) And I actually saw a Ripley meme the other day that said, when you're getting ready to go to Walmart. (laughs) But yeah, I think that. This has so many things going for it that I already loved from other sci-fi movies. And then I think, you know, that just little drawback here or there, maybe with the um, the plane CG, it's a little eh. But um, overall, it really holds up. And like you said, Scott, I, you see something different every time you see it. I'm anxious to watch it again because of that reason. Uh, and I think that it has absolutely the best cast it could have had. So, yeah. Nine out of ten for me too. Man, we're all going to be the same, uh, Scott. I uh, on Letterbox, I had this at four and a half, and I are at four, and I bumped it up to four and mm-hmm. a half. So because I was like, this is almost a five star movie for me, just because I could watch it anytime, all the time. It, it's just so much fun to to watch, and uh, yeah, I I feel like this is uh, nine out of ten battle st- swords. So uh-huh. you know, um, yeah. So it, it's it's been 
I, yeah, I'm really glad we covered this one because it's so much fun. If you haven't seen it, it's so worth going out and checking out. It's a really fun movie to watch right now when you just need something enjoyable. Uh, and, um, you know, this is a, um, alien invasion type movie with a happy ending. So, uh, if that's what you're looking for, um, which we, I think we all need some happy endings right now. This, this is the great way to go. So we do this thing, Scott, called recommendations where we recommend things that we've either watched or, you know, whatnot, uh, to people. So, uh, what uh, do you, would you like to recommend to the listeners this week? Oh, um, well, I would have to say, oh, you put me on the spot. But right now, I, my wife and I are working our way through Hunters on Amazon Prime and really digging it. Uh, it's historical fiction, Nazi hunters in the 70s, uh, cast that's led by Al Pacino. And I, I'm about halfway through it. It's also got, here's a callback. It's also got Lena Olin in it. So if you remember, she played Jennifer Garner's mom in Alias. And, uh, she's just, she's a joy to watch. And so it's, it's, it's one of those, ep- it's one of those shows that every episode leaves you going, okay, one, j- j- just, just one more. And then you'll watch another one. You'll go, okay, just, just, just one more. And that is always the sign of good television for me. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I, I mean, I need to look it up now. <laughs> uh, um, my recommendation this time is going to be something a little bit more YA. Um, and I actually really enjoyed watching through Marvel's Runaways on Hulu. I don't know if you guys have caught it yet, but um, the first season, I believe, is the only one that's out so far. Um, but it's basically based on um, Marvel's story about kids with special powers, um, and they end up running away from home, believe it or not. <laughs> but it's just a whole other way of handling the situation about how they get through it and work together. Um, and it, it has a little bit of darkness to it, but some comedy as well. So I highly recommend watching Runaways. It's got James Marsters in it. You're going to get at least a view out of me at some point. Oh, good. So you're a, like a Buffy fan. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> that, that, and he also does the audio books for the Dresden Files, which I am like a, I'm a huge stan of that novel series. And he, I, that's a series that I buy every book. And I still buy the audiobook because I want him to read it to me. Mm. So um, I'm going to do something that I figured, Scott, you would do. And uh, I have not gotten a chance to see this, but Scott, I know you have. But the boss, Zack Snyder, put out his commentary for Batman v Superman over on Vero, which you can watch while you watch the film. And it's his very first commentary for the movie, which I'm super excited to be able to experience. I'm planning to do it this week as we all have more time. Uh, and so I cannot wait. I'm so excited that uh, he did this for everyone. Um, I'm jealous of his screening room. It looks pretty amazing. Uh, and so, uh, but I'm going to recommend that. Even though I haven't seen it, I can um, I can only imagine that having Zack Snyder talk about Batman v Superman, the ultimate edition, uh, is worth your time. Uh, so. He bring he brings his storyboard books and shows you storyboards 
while like it, it is important that you actually watch the video while watching the movie because it's it's one of those kind of commentaries that it's it's like film school while you're watching the movie you are going to you are going to have a good time yeah so i've got i'm going to be queuing up my old ipad uh and uh and the movie uh and i'm really excited and <laughs> i would love i would love man they, what they need to do is they need to turn this into the the box within the box, you know, um, version uh, with the movie, so we can watch just watch it that way. So somebody needs to put that together, which would be fantastic. But yeah, I can't wait to see it. So uh, you know, if 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 Scott and I's recommendation, we're both recommending it to you. Um, so check it out, uh, and maybe we'll get the Snyder Cut one day. So, uh, Scott, it was so much fun to have you back here to talk about Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whichever one you prefer. Uh, but where can people find you if they want to catch up with you online and the podcast that you do? Well, uh, I can be found individually on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can find the newly rebranded DC Film Squadcast at DC Film Squadcast on Twitter or at squadcastmedia.com, the new address for the entire network, which does include DC Film Squadcast, DC TV Squadcast, DC Comic Squadcast, uh, Fans Without Borders, and our brand new Marvel Squadcast show that does cover the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we had to give a had to throw it's him a bone. Show. <laughs> we had to throw him a bone. I mean, it's like, you, know, uh, you love you, that so much. Here, do yeah. a show. It's fine. Yeah. You got you to gotta be fair, right? You know? Uh, well, some balanced. people think that. I, I don't, but, you know, I didn't make that decision. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, you guys know uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And uh, I also follow Scott. Um, and then you can find me on a couple other shows when I'm not here with Matt on 602 Club. I do a show with my friend Teresa called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet. And uh, I'm also doing a show on the Fanthatrax Network called Planet Leia with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. So I hope you'll check those out. And you can find me uh, on Instagram, Letterbox Vero under the name Matt Rushing 02 uh, I am uh, at, and Twitter. Did I say Twitter? Yeah, that one too. All, all the social media is Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you could find me here on the network doing the Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. We are really hoping to be back soon uh, and uh, give you some more episodes of that. You could find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows there. One is called Outpost. I'm doing that with Drea Kaufman. As we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, uh, one chapter at a time, uh, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars each and every week, which is a lot of fun. So if you like Star Wars, it's definitely the place for you. Um, you can also find me doing an- another show called Cinema Stories, and that's where I'm talking uh, about films, The Lens of Faith, with my good friend Courtney. And with the whole pandemic thing, I'm not sure exactly when we'll be back, but we do have a plan of what we want to do when we're back, so... Hold your horses. We'll be back as soon as we possibly can. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) 